WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Your brain has its own functioning immune system, separate from the rest of your body. It actually has around a third of bodyguard astrocytes. To tell us more about astrocytes, we're here talking to Tier Riggins. Hi, Tier. Thanks for joining us today. Can you please explain what you do and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Tia Riggins. I'm a PhD candidate in biomedical engineering in Dr. Aaron Purcell's lab. And I look at foreign body response to these little probes called microelectroarrays in the brain. And I'm trying to figure out how to minimize that response so that the probes can last a lot longer in patients' brains. Hey, Tier. It's nice to see you again. It's interesting to think about this idea of having microelectrodes planted inside of your brain. How was the material of these microelectrodes picked out? Is there a type of material that's suitable for using inside of a body as an implant, or were these already predetermined beforehand? Well, people typically look at what biomaterials are compatible. So biomaterials are basically materials that we have used in a lot of different drug or other implantable devices that we've seen the body react positively to it. At the end of the day, it's still a foreign object, so the body kind of looks at it like, what is this thing doing here? And it has a response to it. Some of the materials, I should say, that we commonly use is silicon. And silicon is commonly used in the only FDA-approved device called the Utah Array. It was also used in the Michigan Array. And there's also other materials being used or investigated being used, like diamond, for example. Diamond is really expensive, it's very pretty, but it's also very inert. Also, there's other materials called perylene that's being used for probes, and some others called photoresist, because even though they might be a little bit more reactive, they're actually a little bit inert, but they have different surface chemistry. So there are different types of materials that we use. There's a bunch of materials, but the most common is silicon. In your research, are you working with actual patients, or are you focused more on the astrocyte level? And what are you doing specifically? I actually work more with cells, and I use some of my data and compare that to what we see in rat tissue. I do not work with patients. However, there is clinical trials called the brain grade trials, and they're actually really interesting. If you YouTube it, you can actually see patients with implantable probes learning how to use those probes and do simple things that we take for granted, like using an arm or drink from a a cup or a straw. So I actually work with the cellular level or uh, tissue. So then let's talk a little bit more about what these astrocytes are. Could you explain to our audience what these astrocytes are? Are they a particular cell? Do they compose of tissue instead? And how do they respond inside of the brain? Astrocytes are a specific type of brain cell. They maintain the immune response in the immune system of the brain. They actually tune and maintain neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are small little chemical messengers that neurons will send to each other or send to other tissues and parts of the brain into your body. So neurons basically innervate or they kind of control or move things. And they do that messaging through these little chemicals. Astrocytes maintain all of these things. They protect neurons. They maintain the homeostasis or the normal functioning mode of the brain. They kind of act like bodyguards. 
So in your lab, you have these probes, and you're looking at these astrocytes specifically. Why aren't you looking at other cells in the brain, and why are you specifically looking at astrocytes? Well, we're looking at astrocytes because we've basically surfed the literature, and when astrocytes stop doing what they normally do, when they stop maintaining the brain homeostasis and maintaining the immune system, they kind of turn bad, or they go rogue. So instead of protecting the neurons, they actually start to kill the neurons. So depending on the type of stimulation in the environment, the astrocytes are either going to protect or kill the neurons. When you have the type of injury that results from implanting a probe into the brain, it initiates a signal pathway that causes them to change their genetic function and they actually start to kill the neurons, which is a bad thing. So I'm actually looking at astrocytes because we want to stop that change in expression and keep them happy and let them function as normal. There's a, a few other cells that react too. There's also another specialized brain cell called microglia. Microglia are like smaller versions of astrocytes. They're slightly different. Astrocytes are a type of glia, but they're a little bit more specialized because they do more. So they actually maintain um, communication with neurons more. But usually when you see astrocytes and they're unhappy, aka they're reactive and they're killing the neurons, that's usually a sign that you have foreign body response. And that's when the neurons can no longer communicate with the probes. They can no longer send those chemical messengers to the probes and they actually start dying. So usually when you see these reactive astrocytes, it's a sign that you have a foreign body response. So people have started looking there for that reason. So from what I'm gathering, you're looking at these astrocytes specifically because they are trying to fight the probes that are foreign. Is there something that you can coat the probes with so that the body doesn't think that it's foreign or maybe something that you can inject someone with so that the body won't try and fight it? That is a great question. So in the field, there are people who've developed numerous types. There are probes that have had biological coatings to try to stop that. And there are probes who are actually have had drugs delivered in, into them to minimize that reaction. But eventually the probes do begin to fail or there is some main issue that's wrong with it that leads to its failure, which is why we're looking at ways to minimize that response. But there is biologically coated probes. There are probes that are soft and there are probes that are not coated with anything, but they can deliver drugs to the brain. That is really interesting, actually. But let's take a step back and talk more about the work that you're doing specifically. You're working with these astrocytes on the cellular level. Does that mean that you're introducing the astrocytes to the presence of these probes in a sort of plate? Or how are you actually understanding this interaction? So what I'm doing is basically going through the literature and using an inflammatory model. This inflammatory model has been developed in a lab at Stanford under the direction of the great and iconic Dr. Barris, who passed a couple years ago. And he has done a lot of work in neural degeneration, and he specifically has studied a lot of reactive astrocytes. He has had a trainee, Dr. Littlelau, who's actually at NYU. And he looks specifically at neurodegeneration as well. So that lab has formed a reactive astrocyte model. And we have been using a model like that, using their protocols. We've just tweaked it a little bit so we can get it to perform like an astrocyte with the resources that we're using. You had mentioned that you're gathering these astrocytes from rats. 
are these rats completely healthy or do you introduce the probes to them and then harvest the astrocytes after that? So we actually get the astrocytes. What happens is they're, they're called E18 astrocytes, which means they take astrocytes from rat brain and they take them from the babies. So they harvest them from the babies 18 days after they're born and they purify them and they put them in a vial and they ship them to us. And then we take those astrocytes and we culture them up four more weeks because it takes four weeks for them to become mature so they can have more of an astrocyte-like state and function. I didn't even know astrocyte banks actually existed. That's really great that you don't have to be the person to sacrifice the rights themselves. Once these astrocytes have matured and reached the state that you're happy with, what kinds of treatments do you introduce them to study their reactivity? So we culture them without serum. So there is like a, a giant cell bank that makes a lot of different cells and they harvest a lot of different types of cells. So you'll get those cells and you'll culture them without serum because fetal bovine serum, a very commonly used tissue treatment, the cells get a lot of their nutrients from that. So you take the serum out of the, and you culture them with different cytokines. And cytokines are chemical messengers that elicit immune response. So you culture them with IL-1 beta, which is interleukin beta, and TNF alpha, which is a tissue necrosis alpha, and C1Q, which is a component 1Q. So um, you use those cytokines or those chemical messengers because in the literature they have seen in rat tissue culture and from human brains that these cytokines are released in the brain environment when you have these reactive astrocytes. So you culture them, condition them, and you get them to behave like the bad astrocytes. I'm assuming that those factors and cytokines you mentioned are involved with the immune system since they're responding whenever there's a foreign object like a probe. Are there other factors or drugs or chemicals that you can introduce to these cells that can help inhibit the production of those cytokines that you just recently mentioned? So we're actually looking at that one potential way. I'm not doing this personally, but one potential way would be to look at certain chemicals. Like for instance, calcium channel expression occurs when astrocytes are reactive, but they don't occur in happy or normal or wild type astrocytes. So you could possibly use something like a calcium channel blocker or something that will knock down that expression just to use it as like a backbone for a control to judge. So you can use something like verapamil, which is a calcium channel antagonist, and you can uh, test that against, or you can use it to knock down calcium, but you can test that to see if there is calcium channel expression in an astrocyte. I'm not sure at what stage you are with your research right now, but I'm really curious to hear Have you noticed that any particular cytokines change the function of the astrocytes more than the others? I actually just had a committee meeting today, and I'm super excited because I got approved to walk this December. So yay, super excited. But what we do is when we're looking at like cytokine expression, what we want to look at is the change in genetic expression. So what we've been doing is using PCR, which is polymer chain reaction. And we use RNA-seq data. Uh, RNA-seq works just like PCR. But we are looking at changes of genetic expression of these uh, rat tissue and astrocytes around probes. 
And we're looking at certain genes or biomarkers and how they change because we can g- gather ideas of when or where or even how these genes occur or pop up. And we look at the expression of genes and we associate them to different pathways. So we've seen a gene expressed in a reactive astrocyte and we don't see in a normal astrocyte. We can look from our data and hypothesize like what pathways that gene participates and how it got to be expressed. Congrats on your committee meeting and being able to defend and walk this assembly. That's really exciting to hear. Ollie's mention of genes and factors has me thinking about inflammation. I'm wondering, how big are these probes? And whenever they're implanted into the brain, does it cause any kind of reaction like in an inflammation response? And would you be able to counteract that with the astrocytes? So probes come in many different sizes. There are actually some deep brain stimulation devices that are actually pretty big compared to microelectroarrays. But a lot of the arrays that we've seen come from anywhere from 100 to 300 micrometers. And they actually have little tiny devices or little tiny features on them called recording devices that are roughly 30 micrometers um, in diameter. And those devices themselves will communicate with the neurons. So the devices do come in a variety of sizes, but between the Michigan Array and the Utah Array, and the Utah Array, again, is the only FDA-approved device, those are anywhere between 100 to 300 in length and roughly 30 to 50 micrometers. And they come to a point, like a little shank point, which is used to make the initial insertion into the brain. Now that you have these awesome results, I'm really curious about what kind of process follows the kind of research that you did in your laboratory. Understanding the cytokines, I'm sure it leads to a next step when it comes to the implantation of these probes inside of a person's brain. Will these results inform the coding that will be used for these micro implants following future production? The goal is to uncover basic science knowledge about these signaling pathways and these change in genetic expression of these cells and try to figure out if there is some intervention strategies that we could take when it comes to probe design. So we're looking at changes of genetic expression as these cells are surrounding these probes. But we're also thinking about if I see this gene and this gene is responsible from this other signaling pathway, could I minimize or knock down or knock out that gene and see what happens? Like if I knock down this genetic expression, will it allow for probes to perform longer and thus have less reactive astrocytes encircling the probe? So we're actually kind of looking at it from two different perspectives. We're trying to see if device features, meaning the bending stiffness, the shape, and the type of material and the roughness of the material affects astrocytes encapsulating the probe. But we're also seeing if we can target certain genes for therapy as an intervention strategy to help these probes perform longer and not kill neurons, or not have the uh, astrocytes kill the neurons. Whenever you say knocking down or knocking up a gene, how would you do that in a person versus in a cell culture? That's a great question. Well, I mentioned earlier that something like a, a drug called verapamil could knock, knock down calcium channel expression. So if we were looking at a person per se, and I'm hypothesizing here right now because I, I haven't done this work actually. Say we're looking at a gene that is completely responsible. Say we know, know this whole entire process and we're looking at a gene that's completely responsible that starts this whole inflammatory process. 
maybe we could actually counteract the expression with that gene with something else like microRNA. And microRNA are just like little RNA. MicroRNA can either stop or start processes. And we're still learning about microRNA. But that's just one example. We could also possibly use drugs, like verapamil is a drug. There are a couple of ways to approach this. So it would be something like drugs, but we also could do like genetic therapy like microRNA. But it's possible, depending on what angle you approach it, you could use drugs to silence a gene, or you could use other genes to silence or turn off those genes. Well, like Chelsea had said, congratulations on getting your approval to walk this upcoming December. Before we close out this interview, I wanted to ask if you had any sort of future plans in mind for what you want to do after your doctorate. Are you planning on staying in the field of academia or are you looking for more something like private sector, like an industry, for example? I'm actually an NIH fellow. I have an F99K00, which is a transition award. So the F99 mechanism covers the last two, ha- the last two years of your PhD and the K00 covers four years of your postdoc. So eventually I want to run my own lab and help mentor students, especially like underrepresented students. I want to see more students matriculate that will normally have been you know, excluded from academia and a lot of science. I think that's important because I feel like you can't be something if you can't see it in yourself. So that's a dream of mine to run my own lab. I want to mentor students who are capable of doing ethical science. Like I want to make a difference in my community. Oh, that's really great that you have that funding to transition and do a postdoctoral program. Would you still be focusing on neurology or would you be focusing on something else? Honestly, I love this field. I think the brain is fascinating. I feel like we know less about the space between our ears than actual outer space. And the brain is like the ultimate organ. It controls everything. You're always learning about it. It's always so mysterious and it's always so very, very important. I think this field is very interesting, and I really think the technology of implantable probes is also interesting as well. Like, you really get to stick probes into people's brains, and it's like they're part human and part robot. (laughs) I know that's corny, but this field is very, very interesting. And with my funding mechanism, it is a neuroscience focus funding mechanism, so I have to do something neuro-related. But it's a good thing that I love this research, and I love this area, and I think it's amazing. Oh yeah, no doubt about that, that it's really amazing and impactful field. I think it's wonderful that you're still going to continue to do this because we need more people working on these really important topics. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Tier. It was really great talking to you about your research. Thank you for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.